You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And Judge Agoran has reprimanded former President Trump for posting a false personal attack on the judge's clerk. We have such a great show for you today. Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett checks in with us right before the vote to strip Kevin McCarthy of his speakership. Then we'll talk to NBC's News' Ben Collins about his blockbuster story on how a white supremacist newspaper article inspired Elon's game plan for Twitter. But first, we have the Mary Trump shows, the one, the only Mary Trump. Welcome back to Fast Politics, my favorite friend and just someone I really adore, Mary Trump. Hey, Molly. It is great to be here. It is always better to share the apocalypse with you. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. I feel like we've lost so many years of our lives to your uncle. Obviously, it's not your fault. It's he's your uncle. But years ago, would you ever think that he'd be holding the entire country hostage? No, there was literally (laughs) no reason to think that he'd be (laughs) holding a network hostage at the beginning of the the off. I mean, (laughs) You know, it's it's absurd. It's a devastating indictment against so-called adults in America. And I was actually just working on a piece about this stupid age controversy. You know, they're the same age for anybody who's listening. Donald and Biden are the same age. Is that, yes, does everybody wish Biden were younger, including Biden? Sure. I wish I were. 
because it feels like yeah, the last seven years have, have been three decades long. <laughs> it's true. It's such a good point. I mean, there is such a feeling that we are in this sole vacuum of the last seven years. Right now, Trump is in New York for this fraud case. It feels like this fraud case, which is, by the way, one of many, and it's sort of a different kind of case than a lot of his other cases. It's a civil case, I think. And so it's not a case where he could end up in jail. But it does seem to me like this is a this case where it's the family business has hit him in a way that other cases have not. Yeah, a couple of things. First of all, yes, it is a civil case. It should absolutely have been a criminal case. In fact, the codes yeah. being cited in the case are all criminal codes. It just shows yes. you how corrupt the DOJ was under Bill Barr. And listen, he had a lot of companies. Cy Vans could have done something about this a long time ago. The man who preceded Alvin Bragg. Yeah, a good point about Cy Vance. Don't give Cy Vance a pass. No, let's not do that. So Donald is in court because, as you as you mentioned, this case matters to him more than any other. First of all, he doesn't care if he's accused of stealing the election or stealing documents because he can justify this in his own little mind. He thinks it makes him look tough, that he's beating the system he thinks it helps him with his base, and he's unfortunately not wrong about that. This goes to the heart of who he believes himself to be, who he is on the most fundamental level. And as this case unfolds, it just underscores what a lot of us have already known. This is the last nail in the coffin of the empire my grandfather created and that Donald in the span of three decades totally destroyed all by himself. You know, usually it takes three generations to destroy wealth. He's done it in half a generation. And it shows that he is a fraud and that on his own, he's worth nothing. So he's going to be there saying the most outrageous things just outside the courtroom without any pushback, apparently going to stare down Letitia James, one, as if she cares, and two, as if he's some kind of schoolyard bully. And he's going to cross his arms and pout and look dour and stern and try to spin it. And he can't. And that's the beautiful thing about it. So Trump sort of built this empire from stealing from his siblings. Well, he didn't build it. One of whom is your father. Right. But I mean, he was able to consolidate this wealth by stealing from his siblings. Not exactly. What happened is that during my grandfather's lifetime, he disproportionately favored Donald so that, as we learned in 2018 from The New York Times, Donald received from his father in excess of $413 million through gifts, trust funds, and unpaid loans. My father, aunts, and other uncle did not receive the same benefit. So, you know, the, he had that leg up, first of all. And then, yes. Because didn't he and his sister go get together and try to figure out a way to defraud you and your, and your siblings? Yes. They essentially got together and made sure that this is going to sound vaguely familiar. I mean, the goal was twofold. One was to diminish the value of my grandfather's estate by so much 
that they didn't have to pay as much an inheritance tax. Right. Which is cheating the IRS. Cheating the IRS. And the other goal was to make sure that my my dad's estate was worth significantly less on paper than it actually was. So when my grandfather died, they were claiming that his entire estate, and I, I literally, I think he owned something like 48 buildings in Queens and Brooklyn and I don't know how many acres of property. They were claiming that his estate was worth $30 million and three or four years later, they sold it for $700 million. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> it turns out that devaluing assets is a common Trump family tactic. It would appear so. And listen, I'm not saying it's it's an uncommon practice. Right. It is illegal, though. I mean, I think it's important to realize, like, intentionally misstating the value of assets in order to not pay taxes is fundamentally illegal. Well, then also, let's put it this way. There's also a, the scale at which one does that. There's also the flip-flopping on it. What he seems to have done is overvalue for purposes of getting loans, undervalue for purposes of not paying fair his fair share of taxes, and the problem then becomes, because it's, you know, quote unquote, common practice, we get headlines like at Donald's fraud trials first day, opposing views on property valuation. Well, OK, yeah, they're right. opposing views, but one of them is corrupt, false and illegal. Right. Well, both of them are. They're just for different reasons. No, no. I mean, the county's assessment or the IRS's assessment. Right. No question. Or as close as you're going to get to what's factually accurate. As we are sitting here, like talking about this trial, and this is just one of uh, what will soon be a continual stream of trials. What I think is interesting about this trial is like he, he didn't need to be here, right? He's here because he thinks it'll help his case. <laughs> yeah, he does. Well, I think it's also he's there to make sure that his lawyers behave in the way he wants them to. And that's a huge strategic mistake on his part. Say more about that. That's quite interesting. For reasons that aren't entirely clear, either because his lawyers fucked up or because this was going to be uh, a trial without a jury anyway, it's a bench trial, which means the judge is going to rule, which as we know, he already has. <laughs> so we're already at the penalty phase here because the judge has adjudged that the facts favor the prosecution's argument. So... What Donald seems to think is going to help his case is for his lawyers to relitigate facts not at evidence or an argument that the judge has already ruled against. So, which is completely counterproductive, but it's as if Donald is, is not interested in making the case for the judge. He's interested in making the case for his followers, and the lawyers are interested in making the case for Donald, if that makes any sense. Right. Trump has a lot of people performing for an audience of one, including perhaps Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates. I want to continue on here for a minute and talk to you about like it seems in my mind that Trump is kind of diminished. Yeah, he really is. And, and that's why he's doing all of us a favor by showing up. He thinks it's a sign of strength. I'm not sure why he thinks that, but it's clearly a sign of weakness and desperation. He thinks that his his rantings outside of the courtroom 
somehow make him seem strong. And he just seems increasingly like a, a whiny, aggrieved toddler. I don't, I'm not entirely sure why there was a camera in the courtroom for 15 seconds, but there was. We see him just sitting there. He's pouting. He's looking like somebody who just had his, his lunch money stolen from him or something. So it's a miscalculation. But again, it just shows you how important this is to him. What is unfortunate for him, but fortunate for the rest of us, is that that ship is sailed. There's literally nothing he could do at this point to prevent what seems to be the pretty obvious outcome because it's, it's already been litigated and decided in some ways. I just want to know, like, he is the Republican frontrunner. He is the Republican nominee, right? He's going to be the nominee. I mean, there's no world in which he's not going to be the nominee unless something happens. But he clearly doesn't scale, right? McCarthy would not have refused the government shutdown had he not thought the chances of losing the House because of shutting down the government were bigger than the chances of his own peril by betraying Trump, right? Because Trump wanted this government shut down. Yep. So this is like clearly a case of Trump having diminished power in the MAGA caucus. So, I mean, like, I just am curious, you know a lot about psychology, you know a lot about how people behave. I mean, Trump rides this to zero. Does that mean he <laughs> announces for 2028? I mean, <laughs> like, what do you think this looks like? What it looks like is absolute chaos and just the stark truth that the Republican Party, with or without Donald Trump, stands for nothing except burning it all down. And we need to take that in. Let's stop pretending that there's anything constructive happening here. Donald Trump wants to cling to power because he doesn't want to go to prison. If Donald ever gets to the point where he feels like he's losing and he's going down, he'll do whatever he can in his power to take the rest of us down with him. We already see this with his engaging in stochastic terrorism. He is calling for violence. He is calling for the deaths of his political opponents as he perceives them. Because let's face it, General Milley is not Donald's political opponent. He's just, you know, doing his job, essentially. So it's the same thing writ large in the Republican Party. Kevin McCarthy stands for nothing. Matt Gates stands for nothing except their own advancement and clinging to power no matter what. I'd like to think that the events of the last three days will make that impossible. But the American electorate continues to remain stubbornly unmoved by the machinations of the, the politicians who, whom they continue to empower. It's, it's quite mind blowing. And I think from now on, it's the it's the voters we need to pay attention to. Right. It's just incredible to watch this unfold as we are watching him. It does seem like I saw the the Trump boys. It's so interesting to me because, you know, this is just my own brain. But like when Trump left office, this Trump family filled with grifters, charlatans and low IQ socialites really could have taken over Republican politics, right? Laura was getting a lot of push to run for office in North Carolina. Don Jr. was 
saying he was going to run for office in Florida. There was a sense in which the the party was theirs for the taking. I mean, they probably could have even found a job for Eric. But it seems like that didn't happen. And the kids really only exist to support the father. Can you talk about that as as a child of great privilege and who has benefited from nepotism? It's quite strange to see, in my mind, a powerful father who who seems so uninterested in the success of his children. Yeah, that's an understatement. He couldn't care less. They they exist to serve his needs and help him in his endeavors, not the other way around. And, you know, he has that in common with my grandfather. My grandfather's children existed to be of use to him. And he picked the one whom he believed would be of the most use and essentially discarded or killed off the rest of them. The difference between my grandfather and Donald, however, was that my grandfather saw the utility in promoting Donald because Donald had certain capacities my grandfather didn't have, and Donald could only help him expand his empire. The other thing that my grandfather was interested in was his legacy. His empire meant everything to him. It His empire surviving him meant everything to him. Donald, on the other hand, has no interest in helping his children advance. They are of use to him to be of use to him solely, And he doesn't care about what happens next. In other words, there is no legacy here. Donald doesn't think the world can or should continue to exist beyond him. And that should terrify all of us. Yeah, it's really not what you want in a president, is someone who doesn't care what happens when they die. I'm laughing to keep from crying again, but it is just a terrifying, terrifying thing to do. It's just terrifying and also so depressing. So I want for our listeners to be able to take this little bit of joy with them. He destroys the Republican Party, burns it all down on the way out. Yeah. Absolutely. If the Republicans can't deliver for him, then what use are they? He's not beholden to anybody. We see how he gets rid of people who aren't sufficiently loyal. Well, I don't know. We want to end on a good note. So that's, let's, let's let's leave it there. No, that's no problem. Tell us a problem. That's good. Well, the problem is that it won't stop with the Republican Party. So, right. you know, it's not like he'll destroy the Republican Party and the rest of us will survive and thrive and, and live happily ever after. So much damage has been done. And let's not forget that the project of continuing to save and try to shore up and protect democracy makes it impossible for us to pay attention to other things. So I think what we need to do is just blow them out of the water to such a degree that both Donald and the Republican Party become powerless. That's the best we can hope for right now. Thank you, Mary Trump. Can't wait to see you. We're both going to be at the New Republic Stop Trump Summit next Wednesday. And I hope that some of our listeners will join us. I do, too. I just wish they'd put a little asterisk next to (laughs) Trump. It could get awkward if people were there to stop me. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. 
OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Congresswoman Jasmine Crockett represents Texas's 30th district. Welcome to Fast Politics, Congresswoman Crockett. Hey, I'm happy to be here. We're so happy to have you. Incredible course of events. The reason I booked you was, do you remember we met at a party like last year? Yeah, I feel like we met at the correspondence dinner maybe. Yeah, I think that's right. But I was so incredibly blown away by your speaking at the impeachment hearing. Talk to us just for two minutes about what happened there. Like I've never seen an impeachment hearing turn into a democratic showcase like that. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, the Republicans, they may not like the terms that I say is that they are outgunned when it comes to the oversight committee. And, you know, this wasn't really so much about defending the president as much as it was about process Mm -hmm. and trying to restore what the process should look like and trying to make sure that we didn't degradate it or contribute to the degradation of what the process is supposed to be, 
We don't just impeach people because we don't like them. We impeach people because we have some sort of evidence that leads us to believe that this person is a detriment to our country because they have committed high crimes or misdemeanors. And, you know, for them to try to downplay what happened with the previous president and act as if Democrats went off the plantation and they were the ones to bring about a sham impeachment it's just disingenuous. And I really wanted to make sure the entire team wanted to make sure that we not only laid out the fact that they didn't even try to bring fact witnesses or evidence, but more importantly, every turn that we have and we give as it relates to Trump, they try to pretend as if there's nothing to see. So you're a lawyer. You come from Texas. You served in the Texas House of Representatives, which also had its own impeachment. Give me two seconds on that (laughs) insanity with Ken Paxton. Listen, I, I will applaud the Texas House Speaker, Dade Phelan. I will also applaud the way that the House worked in a bipartisan fashion. We definitely have our differences in the Texas House. There are random times that we come together for the overall good. And this was one of those times. Unfortunately, the Senate is our problem in Texas, as the Senate tends to be the problem in most places, even though right now the U.S. Senate is not the problem. It's definitely the House. (laughs) It is very disappointing that we consistently see senators that just don't have the gumption to do what is right, no matter how much. There's nothing that the impeachment prosecutors could have put on that would have made them vote to impeach him. I I am convinced of that, kind of like what we saw with Trump. The senators decided that they would not go through and convict him. Um, And those convictions are necessary. They're necessary to our democracy, at least at a very minimum. I do applaud the Texas House for having the gumption to just say enough is enough and decide to at least do the impeachment. So let me ask you right now, it seems like you had a 9 a.m. meeting. There's going to be a vote. It seems like the House Democrats are united. I mean, we've been united since day one. If anybody's been paying attention on anything that was super duper monumental or consequential, you didn't see divisions within us. I mean, definitely some things happened as it relates to the debt ceiling. So our overall attitude was absolutely a united attitude on the debt ceiling. We obviously had issues with the way that things unfolded. We obviously had trust issues as it relates to kind of going forward with the budget conversation. So definitely some of us on the the further left flank, we're like, we don't want to do this. So we're going to go ahead and just say no to this vote. But if we needed to do it, we would have. And then when it came to keeping the government open, we all stood together except for one member. And, you know, he has a large Ukrainian population. Um, and so obviously it was a big slap in, in their faces. And we all stand with Ukraine on the Democratic side for sure. But we were briefed and we feel confident that we still have an opportunity to take care of Ukraine, but we could not decide that we would sacrifice those every single day um, and, and make the Ukraine issue the wedge issue. I think that McCarthy desperately needs some Democrats to save him. If they save him, they actually end up setting a terrible precedent and it ends up being really problematic for any number of reasons. Do you think that there are blue dogs in your caucus who will do that? Or do you really think that the caucus is united? I think the caucus is united. And I want to be clear, you know, there are those that couched our last vote is we save McCarthy. Anything that the Democrats have done has never been about saving McCarthy. It's always been about the American people. Whatever we do today 
we will do in a united way. And our focus is not McCarthy. Our focus has never, ever left the American people. But to be clear, McCarthy hasn't really done anything that is honorable. And that's why he's in this predicament. He's not lived up to whatever promises he made to his far right flank. He's obviously not lived up to the promises that he's made to the president. And, you know, he essentially went on Sunday morning shows and decided that he was going to reinvent the history that took place just the day before and say that Republicans were the ones that saved <laughs> the shutdown. And right. the votes are clear. They're they're very, very clear. And what I can say is that Republicans are the ones that took us to the brink yet again. That is for sure. Republicans are the ones that decided that they did not want to engage in conversations with the Democrats. Republicans are the ones that decided that they did not want to behave in a bipartisan way. And Republicans are the ones that are having their own inner civil war. Honestly, right now, Republicans are also the ones that have the pro-Putin caucus. So listen, this is very clear what is going on, but I feel very confident in the entirety of my caucus. And I think the American people understand. In fact, I know that while I was in caucus meeting and I couldn't have my phone, I came out and I had some messages from some constituents that honestly, I didn't really think they were paying attention. You know, like everyday working people, They're like, do I have food? Do I have gas? Do I have my job? Do I have my house? Right. So I wasn't really banking on them paying attention. But I had a few messages and they had some very strong feelings about McCarthy. Oh, really? And what it was that they felt like I should do. And I, I was shocked that they're paying this close of attention. But they are. And I think that that's a good thing. People just want government to function regardless as to who is in control. Some of this machination feels like it's too in the weeds for voters. Are you surprised that they're involved in this? I, I was completely shocked. And, you know, I have those constituents that are just very big into politics in general, and they're kind of always reaching out. I'm talking about people I've never heard from. I'm like, I need to double check and make sure you're a constituent. But I mean, I mean, they're telling me like where they live. Right. So technically they're in the district. And I'm like, okay, like this is great (laughs) that first of all, they were all on the same page. And second of all, that you're paying attention. You know, I've got to do some some interviews with some local news folk like towards the end of the week. And I don't know if maybe at home, they decided to put it on the local news networks, what was going on. That may be what's happening. I'm not really sure, but I was really shocked, but in a good way, because I want people to pay attention. When I ran for office, one of the things that I said is that I want to be held accountable because that's one of the things that I think we fail to do with elected officials. So I am confident in all votes that I take. I know that not everyone will ever um, agree with me 100 percent. But I want to hear from my constituents. I believe in democracy. I believe that I should be challenged if my district feels as if I am not truly adequately representing their voices in Congress. I believe in this stuff. Like I I drink the Kool-Aid, right? I can't really say that the other side really believes in how we are supposed to function as evidence by the way that they have functioned. I think that Matt Gates is an attention whore. And I think that the media helps him out with that because this is a half-baked idea. There right. is no way that anyone under Nancy Pelosi, regardless of how they may have felt about her, would not have orchestrated anything of the kind, even if it only took one vote. They wouldn't have done it simply because you can't do this in a half-baked way. This is half-baked. He has no plan. Right. I mean, this is the question. So they remove McCarthy and there's no one else. I mean, does anyone even want this job in the Republican Party? (laughs) 
if they have any semblance of a mind, they would not want this this job at all. Because mind you, he's being vacated because he managed to keep the government open. Like what world are we living in where the biggest problem that we have is that we're going to keep the government open, that we're going to make sure that the people that work hardest for us, the people that they've been railing against and complaining about and saying that they're not working hard enough, that they don't need to work at home. The people that are complaining because our constituents are calling us, telling us that they can't get passports and all the things. And they're saying, never mind, shut it down. It doesn't make any sense. But it also doesn't make sense that the terrible bills that he's keeping us here for the next two weeks, even though we were supposed to be at home and have our district work period for these two weeks, they're just messaging bills. He's not trying to govern. These bills have no chance of making it through the Senate, no chance of making it to the president's desk and being signed into law because they are way too draconian. Yeah, this is what I was actually going to ask you was if the speaker gets removed and there's no one, it doesn't necessarily matter per se, because, I mean, the only thing he's been able to do is name all those post office. Right. (laughs) That is true. There's nothing that he's attempted to work on in a bipartisan way. And there's no clean way that I can see for us to truly hold McCarthy to a new standard and say, listen, you can continue to be beholden to this very small radical caucus, or you can just walk across the aisle and meet us in the middle. I mean, to have conversations with Republicans that are voting for bills that they don't even believe in, you know, I'm asking, I'm like, how could you vote for this? (laughs) Say for agriculture, right? Agriculture, they want to cut funding all the way down to 2007 numbers. We're dealing with the farm bill this year. And our farmers are hurting. We see what's going on as it relates to climate change. Those climate issues that we're having, these climate emergencies, they're not just happening, say, in Florida to the non-farmers, right? They're happening everywhere and our farmers are hurting. And our farmers are the ones that make sure that we can all eat. And so the idea that you say, no, 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 we're going to make sure there's less money. We're going to go to 2007 numbers, which means that we've not adjusted for regular inflation, let alone hyperinflation. And they've decided that crypto is now a commodity that falls under (laughs) agriculture. So we passed the bipartisan bill where we said $90 million for an agency to make sure that they can oversee crypto. Like in what world? So I'm like, why are y'all voting for this terrible ag bill? And it's also that they can say, well, you know what? We fought to cut spending. Like, no, no, no. Let's tell the real story. In real life, if you don't have the money that you need, but you've got necessities, you've got to keep a roof, you've got to make sure that you've got a car, you've got to make sure you've got gas, you've got to make sure you've got food, you've got to make sure you've got healthcare, you got to make sure that you have these necessities covered, right? right? Real people in the real world, a lot of times end up going and getting a second job or a third job. And I'm not saying that that's right, but people do what they've got to do to survive. So the idea that the Republicans refuse to look for any other way to bring in more money, which means that we tax the rich, that's the problem. We can't survive this way. So do you think there's a world in which Democrats are open to a power sharing agreement with the Republicans? Oh, I absolutely think there's a world. The problem is that we don't have an honorable broker on the other side of the deal that would enter into such an agreement that we could say we can trust this. That's the problem. There's really no one to trust on the Republican side, right? There really isn't. I don't know who it would be. I mean, I think that leadership has a better idea of some potential options because they've been here longer. But anybody that probably is semi-trustworthy probably would never get the votes. 
that's the reality. Like they probably wouldn't get the votes because that far right flank, again, would not want to see that person. Matt is having a conundrum because things are passing in a bipartisan way. I don't know when we got to this world, but this is the world that we're living in where we have a house that's run by Republicans that don't believe in bipartisanship and somehow can't recognize, you know, I feel like we should take them back to the YouTube video of like how you do a bill or whatever, right? Like you're never going to get this crap through the Senate and to the president and get him to sign it anyway. You may as well work in a bipartisan way. Right. I mean, that's the thing. It's just incredible to watch Republicans scramble. Does Trump want Gates to shut down the government? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Gates is just a tool. And he is trying to be as extreme as he can, kind of like his failed governor who is about to go down in this Republican (laughs) primary. You know, Gates, it's our understanding he wants to become the governor of Florida. So the more extreme and radical he acts, the more points he feels like he puts up on the scoreboard with Trump as well as the extremists. And he's thinking that he's most likely in a good position to get the governor's mansion in Florida. Unfortunately, we need him to function as a responsible congressperson (laughs) uh, at this moment, you know, because one of the things that had been discussed widely was this idea of the disaster funding and hoping that that would entice the likes of a Matt Gates. I mean, it's like, dude, you're in Florida. Your constituency is directly impacted by shutting this down because we know that this emergency disaster funding will become problematic. And you still voted against it? Like, you're not voting your district at all. Like, I mean, that's that's just what they do. So important and so true. Congresswoman Crockett, we have to let you get <laughs> we have to let you get to your vote. We appreciate you your time so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a good one. Ben Collins is a senior investigative reporter for NBC News. Welcome to Fast Politics, Ben Collins. Thank you for having me, Molly. What is going on? This is a wild story. First of all, how tell us the top line and how did you discover this? Basically, there is this text that was sent to Elon Musk about 10 days before he bought Twitter that outlines almost exactly what he would do for the next 18 months after he bought the company. It was a link to an article by this guy named Darren Beatty. Oh, I know Darren Beatty. Yeah, you yeah. you might know this guy. If you're if you're deep in the weeds on what I would call rat fuckers on yes, the internet, people yes, yes. really try to mess with politics from the inside out. You probably know Darren Beatty, frequent guest on Tucker Carlson's show, a big guy in that space. You probably know him best from being fired from the Trump White House. He was a speechwriter for Stephen Miller and some other people in the Trump White House. Turned out to be a white nationalist, right? Yeah, basically, he spoke along this guy uh, on a panel who runs this white nationalist website called VDARE. Oh, yeah, VDARE, I remember. Yeah, go on. Yeah. So he writes this thing. It's basically, here's what Elon Musk will do once he buys Twitter. Ten days after the story comes out, Elon buys it. And then it outlines basically exactly what happened. It talks about him losing all of his regular users once he lets right wires back on, far right people back on. Then it says he, he should blame the ADL for it, which is like to most people in the last few weeks, Elon's view of the ADL came out of nowhere, wildly anti-Semitic, which it is. There was precedence for this in this sphere where Darren Beatty lives. It really lines up one to one. It even talks about things like being softer on Russia. He says that Russia 
in this game plan has been canceled right using the george floyd tactic is what it says in there what so it lines up one-to-one not only with elon's politics but with his decisions and that text was revealed last year in a lawsuit from when elon tried to back out of buying twitter twitter actually sued elon to go through with that enormous inflated purchase price that elon offered the issue is big problem that we had for nine months <laughs> in looking into these texts is we still don't know who sent him this text. Right. That's what my colleague Laura Kolodny and I have been trying to deduce for nine months. But this is this is our last like tree shaking thing that we can do. We can say what we know here. The judge in the Delaware Chancery Court has said that um, whoever sent this doesn't have to be revealed necessarily. There are people that have this document with this, this unredacted document that says who sent this text. If you're one of those people, just please hit me up because I would love to know. I always think that it's never the person playing three-dimensional chess because, like, right. I came of age in the time and came of age is obviously hyperbole, but of Donald Trump. So I always think it's like Occam's stupid, right? It's always the straight yeah. line. So this would, in fact, point to the idea that Elon is not just like Trump, that he's not just sort of trying to stay alive another day, but that he does have a grand plan. So I talked to a lot of people on the Elon Musk beats throughout this space, both in the tech world, they come out from that end, from the sort of culty alternative lifestyle world that he inhabits as well. And they all basically have come to the same conclusion. A person can have a plan that sucks. Right. Like the plan <laughs> can be really dumb. Right. And you can follow through with a plan that might even be detrimental to you. It would definitely be detrimental to most people. But it's still a plan. And that's basically what this was. And this story sort of outlines that as well. It talks, Darren Beatty's plan says, look, you're going to lose a lot of your money. You should buy this company outright. And you're going to lose a lot of your money. All the advertisers will flee. They're all in on it, on this big globalist American agenda. But only you, sir, only you can take down the globalist American empire. It says it like that in that article. So this is his blaze of glory. And by the way, that's the nickname for the app when you look it up in the app store now, X or Twitter. Right. It says blaze your glory. Right. And that's what this is. He's going out in guns of blazing. That's what this looks like. So what does it say that he's going to do next? So that's sort of the issue with this whole thing is that it sort of ends at destroy everything right. and leave everything in rubble. <laughs> like this story doesn't have like a like a lot of things, Steve Bannon athletes think it's mostly just about tearing things apart and then rebuilding from there. And they assume that, you know, people can capitalize from there. Um, that's the issue with this. This story ends with Twitter being torn apart. There being no direct line to the news anymore. People being lost in the information ecosystem being uh, hasn't happened. But the issue is there is no plan from here. That's sort of the issue with Bannonite politics as it is, you know, the the baby. Tucker Carlson style thing. It's all about getting rid of these guys you think are in the way, the ADL or, you know, whatever that ethnic substitute you would <laughs> would be for that, you know, getting the Clintons out or getting the Bidens out or getting the Obamas out, you know, all this blah, blah, blah. But there's no replacement. They think it's a step towards a white nationalist style state, but there is no plan from here. It's just destruction. So the next plan is just flood the zone with uh, conservative media, conservative with with alt-right media and hope that that somehow wins you the election in 24. Yeah, confusion and panic and chaos and mayhem. That's the plan. And also, by the way, this helps Elon's business interest. You know, there are a lot of regulators were sort of zeroing in on Elon about full self-driving, the Tesla thing that right. is not full or self. And also SpaceX, which had a pretty disastrous launch that 
because of Twitter, they were able to reframe as, you know, a successful mission, things like that. But oh, it has, that is, they're now under particularly scrutiny from regulatory agencies. So that has been helpful to him. Like the chaos is helpful in the interim. And this state is pretty good. It's a pretty good place for Elon to be right now. He gets to have control over the pipeline to the news. And this is basically where I think he wanted it to end up. This is a good situation, especially considering, you know, all the contenders have also sort of failed to launch or have gone up and burst into flames immediately. But he can't service the debt. I mean, even though he's the richest man in the world, he still has to service the debt. So ideologically, this he's winning. But financially, even though he's the richest man in the world, isn't this ultimately unsustainable? Yeah, of course it's unsustainable. In in fact, like, it's kind of crazy to me a better product has built. A lot of people, again, a lot of people sort of benefit from the destruction of a very useful citizen journalism pipeline that we built over the last 10 years, right? You know, the Saudis are also part of people who invested in this in China as well. They don't want people finding out about human rights abuses and then those things going viral and then the news having to cover them. So I'm not saying that they are, I don't, I have no information on this. This, this here is like speculation. Right. I'm not saying they're in on it. I don't know anything about that. But I will say that it is probably a better news environment for them than where we were before, where Jamal Khashoggi's jet death could be uh, amplified all day long as like the number one t- trend on Twitter. Now it would be muddied with a bunch of, I would say, stupid bullshit. <laughs> so I'm glad you feel comfortable cursing here. I'm sorry to be like the boring finance person here, but there's still no way for Elon to service this debt. So sooner or later, X ends up owned by the bank. Yes, okay. that is correct. At some point, they will come call on that stuff. It depends on, I just don't know when that is, right? And the banks also, a lot of these places have money tied up in the myth of Elon in other sectors, right? Right. In SpaceX and Tesla and the boring company and all your places. Just because that myth of Elon has been exposed through this, they still have to make it work in these other places. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, he, it definitely appears like he went rogue with this stuff and the respectable parts of finance now have to come collect the bag. But I don't know how long this can last. You're, you're exactly right, Molly. This is not something that a person who in good stead would want their money tied up into. I mean, it was purchased for $44 billion. So a lot of people have billions of dollars invested in this. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not a pretty seat. It really isn't. Is there some reason why Threads has had such an inability to capture the market share? I think it's a series of things. Like the magic of Twitter is that it really did drive the news. It drives still to this day the ability to sort of sort of aimlessly yell at power and get people's attention. Did you see that thing this weekend with the lift cats situation? No. Okay, there was this guy who was going to the vet and he left his cat on the other side of the footwell on the other side of the car. And then he got out of the car to go to the other side of the car to pick cat up and the driver drove away and then wouldn't respond to him and clearly left cat on the side of the road. Oh. I mean, I was personally like angry on behalf of him. And oh. this guy went to Reddit and the Austin section of Reddit and he was like, I don't know what to do. They were like, everyone was like, call the police, call the police, please enjoy it. So then they were like, go on Twitter and we'll flip a shit, right? Right. And we'll yell at Lyft until they do something. And then they did. Right. So this guy goes on Twitter. He goes viral on Twitter. Lyft sends a team of investigators to go searching around oh, every good. possible area to find this cat. And then they do. They find this cat. Cat's covered in fleas. Mm-hmm. is dehydrated, all this stuff. But 
Lyft sends all of these employees out to go find this guy's cat because of this monstrous lifter. Good. That there is the magic of Twitter. Threads doesn't have. That still goes on for now. Yes, that still goes on for now because Lyft is still there. There's a way to scream up, right? Right. With Twitter. There is. There is a way to basically get in the ear of power on Twitter. And you can't really do it on threads, which feels like the mall. Blue sky is too small. Why is threads so hard to use? Like they have so much money and yet it's so hard to use. Because all those things that I just mentioned, right? That was a side effect of Twitter that wound up being the most important part of it. There's no impetus for Facebook to build a platform where people can scream at Lyft until somebody does something or people can create a protest movement or something. That's the most important part of Twitter, but no venture capitalist, no part of big money would intentionally build a website like that. Now, that's insane to how they view power. So like they were trying to make a nice little stream service on threads that kind of mirrored Twitter. Right. But it didn't have that sort of it didn't have the same functionality. And that's on purpose. That's how it gets complicated is to build something like this. It can't. I don't think it's going to come from one of the big players because there is no reason for them to make one. Now we're going to go to the Molly confession part of the interview. Here we go. I'm excited. I come from like a lot of privilege and I'm married to someone who's a venture capitalist, focuses in education, but who does do this. And I always thought that there would be like good capitalism would win over bad capitalism and save the world. I'm starting to think that was a little naive. Look, I don't know. I'm sorry to get into that. That is, uh, I would say, literally above my pay grade, right? Mine too. In this instance, it's not a great scenario, right? I just thought we were smarter than this. A guy bought the pipes to the news. And instead of the news covering it, like, I can't believe a guy bought the pipes. They just covered what his whims are instead. They covered the spectacle and the cult of personality. Maybe I should have expected that considering what happened with Donald Trump, right? But cover the pipes, cover why he was so interested in doing that, cover how he's changing the way we get information. Like instead, because that the game is rigged in this way, if you have enough money, you can just buy the news. It does seem to me, though, like when you read his tweets, he does not sound like someone who feels he won. Like he feels like someone who is desperately like selling lemonade on the street. Like, <laughs> And when you get Linda Yaccarino, the two of them, you know, they're like, the, you know, he's like going to Taylor Swift. You should post on X. This is really great. You know, like he's the richest man in the world. Like he feels like he's like a shoe salesman. So clearly he has some anxiety because every tweet is like, now we've decentralized news. Stop reading legacy media. Only read my my weird friend who lives in Singapore and posts, you know, strange memes. I mean, like, do you think, though, like it doesn't seem from his point of view, from what I gather from his information, that he feels he's winning? Oh, no, I, I, I do think you thought people would bend the knee by this point. Right. I think that's, you know, with most of these sort of fascist autocrat fantasies, the idea is to crush people into submission and everyone will bend the knee. And it never actually works out that way. Right. You might be able to make a lot of people are very upset or silent for people, but you never actually win the culture war because your culture war is making people's lives worse, right? It's just like, like, like the very basic things that I like or else we will call you slurs. That's not really how you run a good pluralistic society. Right, exactly. I do think he thought he would win by now. And it is, I would say, the testament to like both the human spirit and the concept of what we are as a country that he has not done that. But we are in the middle of this real information war. Yeah, real information war. 
And the way it was expressed by him, his weapon was a particularly vile and months-long tantrum. The goal here was to change hearts and minds, right? So he clearly yeah. isn't winning the elites like you and I. I mean that ironically, obviously, that <laughs> whatever we work for legacy media. But will he change hearts and minds or is it just too soon to know? I do think that he has. And I think that, that this is a long game. If you talk to people with 11-year-old boys right now, yeah, it's 50, 50 chance that they're into Andrew Tate because that's the algorithm does. And right. Andrew Tate is in there same world that Elon is, right? And that's not a thing that manifests until not just in voters, but in society until much later on. And having those thoughts and beliefs is so dangerous, not just to women, but to how we operate. Like culture wars don't happen on a second by second basis. I would I would say they don't even happen on a you know like electoral cycle by electoral cycle basis. I think they happen in big swaths and they're in waves that you can't even particularly tell us they're happening. While we sit here and we make fun of him and we're like, ah, oh, he can't be winning because he sounds so ridiculous and sounds like he's throwing a fit. Right. He still could be winning, even if we right. don't. We really don't know what's happening because we really can't trust any of the polling. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I don't think anybody has appropriately polled anybody under the age of 30 yeah. correctly in several cycles. And I think that people are saying, look closer to those abortion special election votes than to look at the actual polls. I think probably right. But we just don't know. We won't know until next year. Ben Collins bringing the nightmare fuel. Thank you very much. Thank you, Molly. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. Molly Junkfast, the last episode, we were laughing about the Republicans being in disarray, but like the infighting right now, this is like nothing in our lifetimes, right? MTV, the motion to vacate, has made the GOP C-R-A-Z-Y, including <laughs> the facial hair festooned Chip Roy, who told Matt Gates he could kiss his ass. I think that <laughs> is a not, not, not suitable for cable news, but okay for podcasting. Unbelievable stuff. Republicans are in disarray. We'll see if Kevin McCarthy survives another day, but odds are no. Let's not forget when people are bragging about the Republicans' accomplishments in this Congress that they're getting laughed at. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee visit rightrug.com that's r-i-t-e-r-u-g.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you 24-month financing is available with approved credit 
For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Today, we're all looking for ways to save. That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in, then flags any hidden errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.